You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. The car feature with Nicole Lowe. We are taking your calls on 011-883-0702 and the WhatsApp line 072-702-1702. Nicole Lowe is here to take all of your technical car questions, but also to talk about other technical car things. So send through your questions or give us a call. Get in line quite quickly so that Nicole can help you solve any of the issues you are having with your vehicle. Nicole, how are you doing? Good yourself, Good, good. I think my mind is kind of blown coming out of the solar conversation and it just reminded me of the time when um, um, more than one person was asking you about electric vehicles and if it's possible to have the solar panels on the vehicles. But then I just thought to myself, why are we not having vehicles just made out of solar and then they can just keep driving and pulling energy? But you told us it burns too much. That would have been very nice, but the problem is this, the solar energy from the sun, um, you need vast areas. So it's one uh, one kilowatt per square meter, but then with your solar panel efficiency, which is about 20, 30%, means you can get about, say, 200 watts per square meter. So even if you cover the whole car with solar panels, you'll probably be able to get, like, I don't know, one kilowatt, one and a half kilowatt. Most of the cars we drive today... The engines in there almost like starts at 100 kilowatts. So one and a half kilowatt won't get you very far or very fast. So um, it's much better to have the solar panels on your on your roof of your house or on your carport. Uh, you have vast area, then you can sort of uh, store the energy in the battery and then use the battery to charge your car when you park there. That might, might be a better idea. I see, I see. So let's now talk about what happens in your car's internal combustion engine when you put your foot down on the accelerator? Yes, I had an interesting question from a, a friend that's not so technical, and he was asking, so what actually happens if you put your foot on the accelerator regarding fuel and air that goes into the internal combustion engine? Obviously, we know there must be more going in because it's producing more power. And I don't want to take a step back. So if we talk about petrol engines, and uh, I don't know if the older generation will remember carburetors. That's a mechanical device, a flow device, that adds fuel to an airstream at a fixed ratio. And that's very important to, re- to remember or to realize that with a petrol engine, the combustion can only happen if the fuel-air ratio is in the correct ratio. And they talk about a sto- stoichiometric ratio of 14 to 1. So 14 parts of air, one part of fuel. That's the optimum. That's where you want to be. If you go either too rich or too lean, then combustion won't happen. So on an old carburetor cars, you actually had a, a throttle cable, a cable running from that accelerator pedal to a butterfly valve on the intake. So when you actually press down an accelerator, you open this butterfly valve and it opened the airflow to the engine to allow it to suck in more air. But that air would run through the carburetor and that device is there to then add the fuel to that airstream at the correct ratio. So you basically control the airflow to the engine with a carburetor engine. And then as the air flows through the carburetor, the fuel gets added and you get more air, more fuel at the correct ratio into the engine for then for combustion. And that's what will produce more power and the vehicle will accelerate. So you were really in control of the airflow in a petrol engine. Now, the modern petrol engines, um, they are all operated by engine control modules, or what we call ECUs or a computer brain. 
So now, if we haven't got an actual cable at the accelerator pedal, it's a, it's a signal, it's a voltage signal that gets sent to the ECU, um, and it's converted into a percentage, 0 to 100%. If you put your foot flat, you're asking for 100% torque demand from that engine, so maximum performance. And what that ECU will then control is the fuel injected. So we've got fuel injection, uh, not a carburetor anymore, and it measures the airflow, and it will then add the fuel again at that ratio, but much more precise than with the old carburetors. Remember, the old carburetors uh, used to be very heavy on fuel. Um, they were running mostly reach as well because they lean running it gives you other problems like uh, overheating during combustion for your exhaust valves and so on. So it wasn't a very precise uh, measuring uh, device, the carburetor as such, especially for transient conditions. So now with fuel injection, you control it much better, the emissions is better, your fuel consumption is better, you even get more power out of it. So when we talk about diesel engines, it's completely different. So with diesel engines, uh, just to finish off the petrol engines, that's obviously spark ignition, so have got spark plug. With diesel engines, it's actually, you've got no spark plugs, and it's the heat and the, the pressure buildup during compression that, that ignites the diesel being uh, injected into the combustion chamber. Um, and with a diesel engine, you're always running with excess air or excess oxygen. So what you're actually doing is you put your foot, on, foot down on the accelerator of a diesel engine, you're just increasing the amount of diesel going into the combustion chambers. And it used to be with a diesel pump, you, it was a mechanical device. Now, these days, you've still got a diesel pump, but you've got a fuel rail, and if you've got electronic control, control on your injectors, it's much more precise. But, yeah, you're, you, on the diesel engine, you just control the amount of diesel going into the combustion chambers, not the air. So that's a big difference there. Yo, very, very interesting stuff. Nickel, I just forget how much knowledge is sitting in that mind of yours. Very, very fascinating. All right, let's open up to the listeners. 11 in the WhatsApp line. 072-702-1702. Let's go to Irene in Riverwood. Hi, Irene. How are you doing? Hi, I'm Stanton. How are you? Good, good. Go ahead. I have a fantastic and I noticed recently, and by recently that includes yesterday, that whenever we've I've passed, when I leave, it shows liquid. It I felt it. It's not oil, like water, around the hills. You know, the wheels rather. You know where you have a a wheel guard. In fact, it's both front and back. And I'm wondering what that could be. I'm sure it's not the air conditioner because the air conditioner was not on. So, um, sorry, the line was a bit bad. Is it uh, a puddle of water on the floor when you when you move yes. off? Or where is this water? Is it on the floor of the garage or where it's been standing? Where it's been standing. Because yesterday I was at a shopping center and I noticed the water as we were getting into the car. Okay, but it's, it's underneath the car. It's not inside, eh? Underneath, not inside. Underneath yeah. the car. Okay. So... Mm-hmm. First of all, check that water. Check if it's clear water. Um, the worst thing that can happen is obviously you've got an engine coolant leak, but normally you will have antifreeze in your coolant, and that will give it either a greenish or a yellowish or a, like an orangey color. And it also won't feel completely like water. It's got a different viscosity almost, a different feel, a bit of an oily feel if you touch it. So 
if it's in if it's if it feels like that it comes from the coolant and you can obviously check your coolant level in your from of your engine as well just to make sure it's not leaking there if it's clear water it almost looks like mineral water that's been dropped on the floor that's definitely from your aircon then remember your aircon circuit uh, when it cools down the air one of the things that happen is that the water is taken out of the air, the moisture. That's why it gets dry air into the cabin when it's air conditioning. And that water that's being taken out of the airflow needs to condense somewhere and then needs to drip out. So that must be then, if it's clear water on the ground, it must be from using your aircon and it obviously being condensed. And then there's a pipe that runs and all the excess water will then spill on the ground. And obviously once you've been driving and you stop, there's still some of that water left there that will drain down. So if it's clear water, it looks like mineral water, your coolant system is still fine, I wouldn't be worried. That must be coming from the air con then. Uh, although yesterday, I'm absolutely sure I, I, I hadn't used the air conditioner. Okay, that's, that's weird. But just check your settings in your car, because if there's an auto setting and the air con is being set to auto, then it will go in and out the air con setting by itself. I know you can override it to have the air con off, um, but yeah, there's no other way the, the water can come from. It's either a cooling system or aircon. Um, I wouldn't know of any other source of water. It might be if the only other source I'm thinking of now is actually your um, the system that cleans your windscreen, the water bottle there. So if there's a leak in that bottle, that will also be clear water on the ground. So that's maybe something else to check. Uh uh, Irene, um, I think we don't have Irene anymore, but thank you so much, Irene in Rudderport. Hopefully you can get that checked out. Rob in Boxburg, how are you? Apologies. Rob, how are you doing? Fine, fine. And yourself? Yes, yes. Go ahead. Quick question. Um, Nico said the oxygen to fuel ratio mixture should be 14 to 1. I've got a 2002 KB220. How do I check that that mixture is correct? Okay, so um, a 220 KB, that's the petrol version, obviously. <laughs> There's a lot of diesel KBs around where uh, <laughs> that won't count. Um, so the way to check your air fuel ratio is actually with a propane exhaust. So um, many of the technical testing centers can put a probe in your exhaust and they measure the exhaust gases. And that can actually tell you uh, if it's running rich and if it's running lean. With the modern engines, there's actually an O2 sensor or a lambda sensor in the exhaust because they're all fitted with catalysts. And for the catalyst to work efficiently, you need to run exactly at 14 to 1 ratio. So that O2 sensor in the exhaust system will give the feedback to the engine control unit. But if you want to check it yourself, the way to do it is with a probe and exhaust if you've got the correct uh, test equipment that will uh, measure the O2 level for you. The problem is um, that's mostly at idle or you're revving it up. If you want to measure under load, you'll have to get the vehicle on an engine, or oh, sorry, on a, on a rolling road dyno uh, where you can actually fix the vehicle and you can run it at load. But again, you will need a probe and exhaust to be able to measure air fuel ratio. That's also the right. way the tuners work. If they want to tune your engine, they'll have a probe and exhaust to measure air fuel ratio. Okay, guys, so go to the same people. All right, perfect. Thank you so much, Rob. Let's go to MTS in Johannesburg. Hi, MTS. Hi, um, I just have a, vehicle, a, a question about my Avanza 2014 um, 1.3 SX. So it went in 
um, for the 90,000 service um, brake pads were done. Subsequent to that, it needed a clutch plate. So um, they didn't have a clutch plate in stock. It came back about uh, three weeks, four weeks later, it went in for the clutch plate. Ever since it came back, um, the braking system is fast. If the brakes um, I can't brake every now and then, the vehicle's been back to Toyota about three times and uh, they can't find the fault. So I just wanted advice from Nico as to what the possibilities or where, where this problem could lie with this braking system because they keep telling me there's no correlation between the clutch plate uh, change or the clutch system and the braking system. But there's definitely a problem that's developed with the brakes ever since it came back from the clutch plate. Um, just let me know, what is the problem with the brakes? Is it not effective anymore? Does it squeak? Does it, so, uh, does it vibrate? No, what is it the problem no, with the brakes? It just goes soft because it loses pressure. It loses pressure completely. So it's an ABS braking system. It, 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 before, it, it was very sharp. It was to the point um, when you just uh, uh, lightly touch on the brake, the car would slow down. Now, when you, uh, it, hap- uh, it happens periodically where it just loses pressure completely. You have to push the pedal straight in. Sometimes the vehicle doesn't stop at all. Okay. So, according to what they were saying about the correlation between the clutch plate and the braking system, I think they are correct in the sense that the systems don't share any common components. There shouldn't really be an interaction between the two. But to mm-hmm. be able to get the clutch plate out from the, the vehicle, they must have loosened the gearbox. Um, you have to almost remove the gearbox to get the clutch plate out. It's a longitudinal engine, yeah. obviously rear-wheel drive. Um, so yeah. I'm just thinking, is it the, what, the, the, the symptoms you're describing uh, might actually be either uh, the vacuum system on the, on the brake system or it might be the uh, master or slave cylinder uh, that bolts the pressure on the system. So I don't know if they had to move either the the, the slave cylinder or they needed to disconnect something uh, when they took the gearbox out. Um, it, it shouldn't be, but that I'm clutching at straws here. I'm going to see what, why why is there a connection. So I, I would I would definitely let them check the braking system, and that would mean, I would say, investigate the master cylinder and the slide cylinder. So that's what actually bolts the pressure when you put your foot down, and also the vacuum system, because if you say the, sometimes the, it, everything is fine, it breaks as normal, and then suddenly it feels like there's no power, uh, your assistance in your brake pedal comes from the boosting system, which is the vacuum system. If you look on the inside of the firewall, you'll see a a big round, it almost looks like a, a, a donut drum thing that sits there, and then you'll get your reservoir with your brake fluid in. That is a vacuum system. So if it loses vacuum, um, you'll also lose your assistance. It will feel like uh, there's no almost activation power if you press the, the brake pedal. But again, that shouldn't really be linked to a clutch replacement. Maybe it's a, it's a fault that just occurred at, so at the same time, but there's no reason for them to not then investigate what is going on with, with the braking system as such. Thank you so much for that call, MTS in Johannesburg. Let's go to Rodwell in Pretoria. Hi. Yes, ma'am. Oh, Rodwell, your line is not great. I'm going to pass you back to our producer, Sunny in Rosebank. Go ahead. Hi, Nick. I have a 2007 Volvo S40 T5. I've owned the car for over 10 years now, and I've never replaced the cam belt as the specs uh, suggest that I replace in 180,000 case. Should I be worried? 
Um, if there's a Camrad replacement interval, I would rather stick with that interval. It's normally a mileage and a time lapse. So it will be certain mileage and year. It can be 100,000, three years, 100,000, five years. The reason for that is that if it's a, if it's a belt, but uh, then um, the belt will um, obviously um, degrade over time and it's, it's time and it's stress. So that's why there's two, uh, a, a time, a kilometer mileage and a, and a duration of time. And the reason why you need to replace it, if that belt snaps and what they call it, it's an interference engine. Now, most of modern engines are interference engine, which means that the, the valves can actually connect with your pistons if the timing is out and the timing is only regulated by that belt. So if that belt snaps, then your valves become stationary, but your pistons still go up and down in the, in the balls and they will then hit the, the valves and it is a catastrophic failure. It will cost a lot of money. So I know the belt uh, service, uh, cam belt service is expensive one, but the engine repair when it snaps is much worse. So rather go for the belt replacement. All the best to you, uh, Sunny in Rosebank. Nickel, so many questions that we did not get to. So many people having issues with their cars, but we'll pick it up the next time that we are together. Thank you so much, Nickel Lowe.